Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I left academia about one year ago to become a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts and an editorial manager for a science website. I'm Ian, and I've recently left academia to move into a science communication, editing, and publishing career. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about two years ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Recovering Academy podcast. I'm Clady, and I'm here with Amanda and Ian. Hi. Hey. So we're here with In Baby Attach Mode. Hey there. Hey. Super happy to join the podcast that I always listen to. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> yeah, so Ibam, she got her PhD in neuroscience in 2010 in the Netherlands. Um, then she moved uh, to the US to do a postdoc, but came back to the Netherlands in 2014 when she left academia and now she's working as a senior scientist in industry. So welcome to the Recovering Academy podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So what about you tell us a little bit uh, about your story? How was your transition? Sure. Yeah. So I actually for a really long time after like during my master's and in my PhD, I was um, very determined to one day have my own research group and become a full professor and all of that. And uh, so I was working really hard towards that. But actually, um, as I was doing my postdoc, applying for uh, postdoc fellowships and also a few grants, um, one after the other rejection came in. And when I was at 10 rejected, zero granted, I figured maybe this is a good time to um, look at other um avenues and other options and so I was um, when we moved back to Europe I was um, in a postdoc and I had about a year of uh, somebody else's money to spend Um, and then um, I was already a little bit looking at different um, job ads and figuring out what I wanted to do and actually then all of a sudden I saw the job ad for the job that I currently have and it just sounded perfect it was they were looking for a neuroscientist in a company um that made stuff for patients and i was like oh well maybe this is a really good opportunity and actually i um asked for help on twitter and a few really nice tweets among one of them was chel who was in your podcast uh, a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago at least for me <laughs> um and so that was very helpful in making my resume because of course I only had an academic CV that was like pages and pages of every poster presentation that I had ever given and um, so I sent that in and um, got invited to an interview and actually even when I was offered a job I was I hesitated for I guess a week and I was like oh is, do I really want to um, I guess give up on my dream of having my own research group and staying in academia um, versus transitioning into industry, but in the end, I um, I decided to go for it and to leave the postdoc that I was not incredibly happy in. And uh, yeah, I'm still uh, still glad that I made that decision. 
Wow. It seems that uh, the stars really align for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. Although, especially in the first year, I kept thinking, what if I had stayed? What if I send in one more uh, fellowship application? Maybe then I'd gotten it. And people also said that because I, I um, had a few good publications both from my PhD and from my postdoc so a lot of people were like why did you leave why did you not try again for this other fellowship but actually the the um, the main fellowship after which I was really like oh this this may not happen for me one of the reviewer comments was something like she hadn't gotten a fellowship before so why would (laughs) we give her this one and I was like well if this starts now then what are the odds that it's going to happen so yeah I, I keep wondering about what would have happened in an alternate universe but I think I'm, <laughs> I'm glad it happened this way I can't imagine that like she hasn't gotten a fellowship before so why start now like yeah but it was it was why literally the comment like her her CV is okay but she hasn't uh, secured funding now and that wow. was like after three or four years of postdoc. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, yeah, it's a valid comment, but it's kind of the way it is in academia that everything has to, has to happen. You know, it has to work exactly as people want it to, to see happen. And otherwise you're sort of out, I guess. Yeah. That's sort of true everywhere though, where people ask you like, well, what have you done before? And like, I don't want to invest in something new and you know what I mean? It's, like, you know, if you haven't proven yourself, I don't want to take a chance. Like, there's yeah, that it's aspect. For, mm-hmm. It's true. It's the same for jobs where they're like, you need industry experience to transition into this industry job. And then you're like, well, <laughs> what do you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but just... the thing is, I guess that for industry, it it is like this. You do have all those job ads that say like, oh, you need uh, five years experience in this. But I guess that they are much more uh, likely to give it a pass uh, than in academia. I think that in academia, things are more carved in stone. You know, you really need to have at least like a grant Mm -hmm. or you need to have enough publications or blah, blah, blah. But um, in industry, I don't know, I've got, I don't really remember my, the job ad that I applied, but I'm pretty sure that they ask for experience in sales experience and I didn't have any mm-hmm. and I still got the job. Yeah, because, true. My job ad also asked for a year of industry experience. And you see, yeah. You see, yeah. So, so yeah, I always advise people to just ignore that bit. Yeah. And was this a situation where you just you saw the ad and you applied like you didn't know anyone at the company that you're currently working for when you applied or did you? Well, I actually I had had a phone call with somebody who worked there, but more to see yeah. if they because in Holland. A lot of the funding is for public private partnerships. Okay. So it's it. always good to sort of establish mm-hmm. connections with people mm-hmm. in industry because you might um, want to apply for funding together one day. So I had mm-hmm. talked to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um but not with the idea that I actually wanted to work there, more with the idea to sort of understand what kind of research they were doing to see if, if I could make that work for a, for a grant application at some point. Yeah. And can I ask, like, since your, your, your official job title is senior scientist, does that mean you are in charge of your own research group now a bit? No, I'm, 
I'm not. We actually do right. a lot of the work that we do uh, in those public-private collaborations. So mm -hmm. I mostly manage collaborations that we have either with CROs or with academic partners. And Got then it. we also do a whole bunch of more like literature research. So do meta-analyses of stuff. And so a lot of my time is spent uh, behind my computer or in meetings. Yeah. I think that's actually pretty standard in industry. Yeah, I was going to say that seems pretty standard for um, running your own research group too, is doing a lot of stuff behind your computer. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Meetings. It's also, not that different, but I don't have people um, like report to me okay. or um, that I Got it. Okay. oversee from a hierarchical st standpoint, I guess. Okay. Oh, so you're kind of like the boss, the one like, oh, man, do this, do that. <laughs> well, not technically. I'm more of the one like, maybe we can do this because that's it's, it, and, like all of the all of the collaborations that I manage. It's I'm of course not technically their boss, even right. though perhaps we pay them. But it's sort of the idea that that we'll They're work together. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I was just curious. I, I mean, because I, I mean, yeah, working in industry can mean a lot of different things. Like, I mean, yours is like collaborate, setting up a lot of public private collaborations and doing mm -hmm. partnering that way. But like, you could also mean like, oh, yeah, I manage a small team of scientists who are trying to yeah. do things in a lab. Like, well, and actually, there's people in our company who have the exact same job title who do mm -hmm. do that, who do yeah. have like a small group in a lab that does more um, like in vitro stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I guess I'm just I'm also asking because I mean, potentially like, there are some stories of like people who exit to go to industry and end up back in academia eventually. <laughs> um, like, you know, it, it's a story that does happen sometimes. So, like, even if you are, like, giving up on your, like, academic dreams initially, it doesn't mean you're not going to end up there eventually. Yeah. Um, if you really want to make that happen, right? Yeah, although I wonder if I would still want that. Like, right, I yeah, absolutely. Even, even today, if somebody would say, here's, like a whole bag of money and a, a research position in academia, I would probably say, no, thank you. No, thank you, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Like, so, you're, so you are happy with what you do in industry? Yeah, I am. And actually, especially after uh, last year, I got the opportunity to work in medical affairs for a year, um, sort of a assignment within the company. And I really enjoyed that. So I feel that my move is sort of more away from science into um, really making a connection between business and science and trying to be the person who can translate between those functions and who can really, um, I guess, make the science into something that's valuable to the company. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. So how was the, that, uh, what, what exactly were you doing in medical affairs? Um, so I was supporting a product that we have for um, a certain group of patients. I'm going to keep it a little vague here for sued yeah. reasons. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, and so basically uh, it's, it's very similar to pharma medical affairs where we would have uh, advisory boards and roundtables with uh, key opinion leaders in the field. Mm -hmm. 
and um, uh, really try to figure out how we can best support um, the uh, MSLs that we have in the different countries and um, make sure that what we get out of our um, R&D in terms of evidence and data and what have you, that we translate that into marketing materials. Hmm. And so I really enjoy that to figure out what from like a complicated scientific paper, how you can sort of distill that down to something that um, like the Salesforce or the MSLs can really talk about in like a couple of minutes or something. And so, yeah. I, uh, That's kind yeah, of like science communication, right? <laughs> yeah, it is in a way. Yeah, it very much is. And a lot of almost teaching because a, a lot of those sort of um, cascade the message down from KOLs into healthcare professionals in the field that a lot of that is really sort of how do you teach people to then teach other people so yeah it's funny how a lot of those things are are um, similar between a lot of jobs I think so was this a like was this assignment something you had volunteered for or like did they just say and now you IBAM you shall do this <laughs> <laughs> no it was it was sort of a, a, a happy coincidence because mm -hmm. I had talked about trying to figure out if I would enjoy that role because, okay. of course, it also entails a lot of traveling, much more than in my uh, mm -hmm. R&D role. Um, so I was like, oh, am I going to be able to do that with small kids and, um, mm -hmm. and a husband who also has a, a pretty demanding job? And then so I talked to somebody who was in medical affairs uh, about what it would be like. And then actually the company allows us to sometimes take steps into different roles to um, learn. And also when you go back to sort of enrich your, your role that you're in. Um, and I was uh, sort of fortunate to be able to, um, to make that happen and go to do medical affairs for a year. And actually the first half of the year I was doing um, part-time, my old role part-time, the medical affairs role. Oh, Which was wow. yeah, that was that was not something that I would necessarily advise people to do. But um, um, all in all, it was it was a really great experience, and it also taught me a lot about um, really what I like in my job, and also where I would like to go in the future. I guess. Did yeah, that sounds really nice. That's cool, and your company like encourages that. That's really nice to be able to kind of try it out for a limited period of time because then if you went and you were like oh gosh this is the worst thing ever you knew that you weren't like you hadn't made some yeah, sort of exactly. like catastrophic misstep yeah. yeah no exactly yeah so that was that was hugely valuable yeah so going back to your i mean transitionary period from when you were leaving academia like i mean did you feel like you had a low point in your transition like or you know, um, was there a low point where you're like, oh, this is just so frustrating and I, I don't know if I'll ever find a job? Well, so I was, it was really sort of um, like a, almost like a soft exit. Like I mm -hmm. stepped into this also science job and it's, it was even like very close to where I worked before. So it was. Um, so your key didn't was, change very much. No, exactly. So, so that yeah. made it really sort of, easy and so I didn't have this whole period where I was like oh I need a job I need something because that's that I was fortunate enough to just be able to step into the next thing um but what I did struggle with is that I had this very clear like I want to become this 
person when I grow up, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And for that, I need to take these steps and then I'll get there. And then once I stepped off of that track, I was like, what am I doing? And it almost felt like I was just, you know, like, like pushing yeah. chairs around a room instead of being actually like doing something very focused mm-hmm. and something that was working towards my goal. So I was like, I sort of felt a little lost for a while, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I can relate yeah. with that. Yeah, I felt yep. very similar. Yep. I can, yes, yes. going through that right now. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I think that it's, it's kind of tough because uh, whenever you were in academia for a long time, then as you were saying, you have your goal and then uh, even if you didn't really want um, to be in academia or to pursue an academic career, that's kind of like what everybody does and mm-hmm. what uh, it's taught to you and expected from you. So you kind of just go with the flow. And then whenever you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Then you're like, Jesus, what do I do now? Where do I go? Who yeah, I, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, like, after I got rid of the whole, I need to be writing and working every single spare minute that I have in my life, I was, you know, now I had this job where I could, like, come in in the morning and sometimes I need to work more hours than is technically expected of me but it's not that I have this constant idea like I need to work I need to write etc so I also had all of this time to all of a sudden (laughs) feel I guess (laughs) so yeah there was was this whole like what do I do with myself Mm -hmm. part yeah, I was gonna say. And I what about the flip side of the um, like the timeline that we were talking about before? Like you have to have like this done by this like this year in your postdoc. It's like you have that even if you're not gonna stay in academia, you know what that timeline is, and then outside of it, you're kind of like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> like, what's yeah, the next step? exactly. Yeah, like, I know that I'm not gonna spend like X number of years in a postdoc and then apply on the job market. Like, this mm-hmm. is different. Yeah, all of a sudden, everything is just open and to me that was that was almost a little scary for a while and you were on twitter before your transition right yeah yeah i uh, i joined twitter as baby attach mode in like the couple of months after my oldest was born because i was in a lab where nobody had children and i was the first to have a baby and i was like i need to talk to like like-minded people i guess <laughs> and uh, and i had a, actually i already followed um like some of the scientopia blogs from drug monkey and dr mm-hmm. becca other people so i sort of like like started following them on twitter and sort of found found a group of people there Mm-hmm. Yeah, my question was because uh, when I also um, started Twitter when I was a postdoc, um, and by the time that I started writing on Twitter, I joined Twitter, I was kind of like exactly like you, like, hey, I want a, a tenure track position, mm-hmm. and I applied for several jobs, and I was talking, and I got a lot of help from people also. Um Uh, regarding my CV or my cover letter Uh, and then when finally I left academia and and I made the transition um, that was really tough for me uh, to be on Twitter because I didn't really uh, relate 
to I was all following and talking about with professors that had grants that were teaching and before everything made sense and then after that it didn't anymore so how was that for you yeah yeah I really recognize that feeling I also felt like I needed to sort of find my voice on Twitter again and also in in just real life with the people that you hang out with a lot it's like such a huge part of your life and my husband is an academic well so between oh, us yes. that also changed a little bit I guess at, at first we were sort of even competing for the same grants and so um, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, okay so I'm glad that you stepped out <laughs> yeah 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 I the, I mean to me that was sort of part of the two body problem as well that I was like well I guess I should remove one body from this part of the problem um but yeah on twitter it was kind of the same i was for a while i was like what am i doing here with these people that i i feel like i've just left but now i think especially with like um a lot of people like you guys as well like transitioning out of academia and just a whole bunch of people that i would consider friends i guess it just feels strange not to stay there anymore and i think i found a um a good place as the person that I am now. Yeah. Yeah. And you I, also have a blog, right? I forgot yes. to say that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, at Scientopia as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's under in baby attach mode. Right. Uh yeah, so it's in baby yeah. attachment.scientopia.org. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to get that explicitly out there so people can find it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I, I completely agree about you know, trying to refine your voice and like find a new community of people. Like some of that may just come with moving. And I don't know how it was moving back to the Netherlands and then starting a new job. And like, if you had to find like just all new people to meet and hang out with, um, whether regardless of like whether you left academia or not. But, um, but yeah, it's hard when you move cities and don't know necessarily anyone. Yeah. I mean, well, and you're t what I also noticed about coming back to Twitter that um, my time zone changed, of course. Like, yeah. I moved oh, six yeah. hours into the east, and all of a sudden, when yep. I opened Twitter in the morning, it was like a whole different group of people talking <laughs> to each other. And, like, of course, here the whole morning, um, it, it's quiet yep. from US science Twitter. So, yeah, there was also yep. just a ship there when, when I moved. Right. So, yeah, it was like this whole big change that sort of happened quickly after one another. Yeah, and probably a lot of people not tweeting in English as often either. Just guessing. Um, yeah, but. so I, I do, I my Twitter is mostly still US, UK, English speaking science-y Twitter, mm -hmm. but yeah, also a bunch of, uh, of like non-English speaking people. So it's just kind of a mix, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, like, it's you mentioned a lot of free time. I imagine your day is much more structured around like I, I don't know what the if there's a difference in Europe, like the nine to five industry. Like you mentioned, you travel a lot for your current role, but um, like I, I imagine within that, like you like, you probably do have a lot more time outside of like actual work hours, where like you have a, a much more clear separation, or do you have that sense? Like in academia, where there's like not necessarily any end to the workday, where it's just this is the when you leave the lab, yeah. right? 
you leave the lab, but you're still thinking about stuff, or you're still, like, working over problems, or you're, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, if I have that one moment of curiosity, I can go, like, look that paper up and see if I am onto something, or if my, you know, brain is just imagining things that seems like it's a good idea, but isn't. Yeah, uh, so that, it hasn't changed a ton, because yeah. um, I still, I mean, I still think about work when I'm technically well, of course. not working. I think working. we all do, right? And, yeah, so, I mean, it's not yeah. a, it's not a clear-cut separation but I guess the biggest difference is that I'm not um, I'm not evaluated for what I accomplish personally in the sense that I was in academia you know that yeah. it's so much like your personal um, uh, reviews or personal you know it's it's not as personal as it was in academia at least for me like i'm evaluated based on what i do but also on how i do it so even if i if i do an experiment or somebody in a collaboration that i manage does an experiment and nothing comes out in academia that would just be a blow even though of course the data are the data you should publish whatever you find it's still you want to have something that is like a positive result i guess yeah, there's and, definitely that bias. Yeah, and so in my in my current role, I'm much more evaluated for um, how I do things and not necessarily what their result is, a little bit still. But um, And to me, that just feels very different. So I don't have that sort of constant voice in the back of my head that says, you need to work more because you need to make it. Mm -hmm. Now it's just more that I can be like, okay, I've done my work for the day. Now I'm fine to go home and do something different. Yeah, because I mean, I guess in industry, you're, I mean, you're trying to make a product that actually works. And like, if your results are showing that it's not like the solution is, okay, so how do we, we need to step back and figure out what isn't working and figure out how to make that work yeah versus like in academia we're like I, well we thought that was a good hypothesis but it wasn't and like now i'm behind and figuring out what they think is actually going on and it might be exciting one day but like right now my deadline's coming for my grant and like i need a publication and mm -hmm. negative results are hard to publish in academia yeah uh, and, and yeah. Industry, you don't have that pressure right yeah, well, of course, people are still happier when stuff works the way of they uh, yeah. <laughs> projects of move along as people had forecasted. But um, no, you're right. But you it's, don't it's, have like deadlines like, OK, you need to do this until that. Like like Ian was saying that you, ha you have to have preliminary data because you have an R01 uh, that you want to apply and you need that in a month, you know? Yeah, right. no, exactly. And of course, we we have uh, uh, targets and objectives for the whole year. So sometimes it's clear that before the end of the year, we need to do X, Y, Z or for a certain um, project, there's a deadline that people have put into the project management software. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it, yeah, it's just it just feels different, I guess. Yeah, I understand that. But like, there's still no sat more satisfying feeling in science or in industry probably than like, you know, like essentially like making your hypothesis, calling your shot, and having it being like exactly like, you know, you're actually you've actually figured something out. Well, it seems like, like it might be more of like a team-based thing too. Like you're not, yeah, you're not necessarily like the like when you're applying for a grant or a fellowship or something. Like it's all based on you and what you have done and your personal productivity. Whereas this, 
like it sounds like you work with other people so now it's not just you it's this group and what we are team. all it's doing team. together yeah yeah, yeah. Right. which was which was a huge change in mindset i guess for me mm -hmm. as well because i was used to just working with um a pi perhaps some collaborators on mm -hmm. some projects and now all of a sudden there's like this whole matrix organization in our company where there's like people everywhere that need to have their say in a project so yeah that's mm -hmm. to me that was a big um oh, yeah, a big imagine. change um coming from academia into industry all of the different stakeholders that need to be taken into account and need to be updated and uh, etc so yeah yeah. But I feel like this has like a bad side that everybody has to agree uh, and maybe it can be because people are different then it can be harder to get the agreement. But on the other hand, working in a, on a team is good because then it takes a little bit the pressure out of you and yes. if you're not there or if you cannot do this now, someone else can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I also, I really enjoy it, even though, of course, sometimes you, you have to work with all sorts of different people, but I do enjoy the feeling of uh, um, making something with a whole group of people together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I mean, yeah, and like without, I mean, you don't have to say if you don't want to, like just, I mean, it sounds like you work for a rather larger company than a smaller yeah. one. That's yeah. right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I, I, I mean, and plus like, it sounds like also with like a lot of other companies, since you'd mentioned CROs and partnering with other plate other. Yeah. Um, do you have to travel far? Like, I mean, is like, you know, is, do you have like international collaborations in other words that you have to like, oh yeah, I'm going to England this week and then I have to go to Germany and, uh, um, yeah, so I do, I, I managed um, one collaboration that was abroad during okay. the whole of next year, but we actually, I've never went there. Got so, it. Okay. um, a lot of it just goes remote or people come mm -hmm. to us. And in this case, um, uh, I know that one of the people in the team that I work in had visited that place two years ago. And since then we had just been calling and, uh, just working remotely. Hey, nowadays, so I guess for the technology, yeah, it's I mean, also yes. everything is remote, mm -hmm. and you yeah. can do Skype calls and you do webinars, webex, and and and, and then you don't. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, nothing. Sometimes you have to go there and 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 meet, but it's not a necessity as it was before, right? No. Yeah. No. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean and the as four of us are in four different locations recording this. Right. So, exactly. You know, and, and like in my, yeah. With yeah. In my job. Time, time zone difference. So, you know. Yeah. Yes. We, um, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I, my, like my company, like, I mean, like my CEO likes to say, like, yeah, 60% of the job can be done from anywhere. Um, basically, it's just you need, like, a computer with internet access and a telephone and you can basically do most of the job that I do. Because, <laughs> um, like, I mean, there is, like, some value to being on-site, in person, like, sometimes, but... Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's tough, especially when you work for, like, big companies. I work for a big company as well. And we do have uh, webinars that 
um, it's for the whole world and normally we have options to attend they do it at two different time zones mm -hmm. so uh, and they try to get as many people as possible so they try to do like in the middle of the day I guess to be like morning yeah. in somewhere in Asia and and afternoon in the US in the UK or something like that so uh, but it's 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 tough to to like ideally yes you want to put all those people together and I heard that uh, that happened in the past like a big uh, company meeting mm -hmm. but I don't think that uh, it's expensive also yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah. in a place yeah expensive <laughs> and not very um, like environmentally sustainable I guess so yeah. yes that's that's just, uh, another thing mm -hmm. yep. So, Ibam, um, one thing that we always ask our listeners, our guests, is uh, if there is something that uh, you will tell your younger self and or our listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would be to take more time to think about what it is that you enjoy doing. Because I realized, especially after I left academia, that I spent so much time like sort of running up on this steep hill towards um, uh, getting a tenure track position and more. And also with the combination of having two small kids, I just sort of like lost the joy and lost um, um, the time to think about what aspects of work I really enjoyed. I was just like working, working, working to get to the next level um, without really valuing the things that I enjoyed and figuring out which aspects of work I liked and didn't like. And I think a big part of that is sort of this cliche of getting to know yourself and in that sense figuring out what it is like what role fits you best and I mm -hmm. think that maybe I should have spent more time doing that earlier on yep yeah good advice yeah because I mean I know I did that like I got stuck in this whole mindset of this is what I must do and then um when yeah. I thought about it I was like this is not really what I want to do yeah, and I, I also realized that from such a young age on, perhaps even more in Europe than in the U.S., because when we go to college, we choose um, a direction. So I got my bachelor's in biomedical science. And then when I chose biomedical science, there was like almost no um, elective classes. It was all sort of like this prefixed package that you choose. And then you just like do and do and do without really thinking like, oh, which which aspect do I like because you just choose the whole package yeah. and then of course grad school is sort of the same thing it's like this is what you need to do to get to the next level and then um, I guess it doesn't really encourage you to um, examine what you like and don't yeah and I also think there's some aspects to like I mean it, this may not be a PhD program thing but it just seems like we're almost trained not to evaluate ourselves or think about ourselves too much and focus like it's about the work, not us. Like there's mm -hmm. this aspect of academia that just trains us to hate talking about ourselves and thinking about yeah. ourselves. Yeah, yeah I remember when I just... It's really hard to get over, yeah. Yeah, 
I remember when I just joined the company, we all, um, when we joined, we got this like personality test, sort of the Myers-Briggs, but then a different um, variety. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just sort of like blew my mind that there was like so many different types of people and also <laughs> the type of person that I was. I was like... I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> like we never think about stuff like that. You're like, wow, there's this whole new world that opens up where there's like different personality types. So yeah, I was, yep. uh, my mind was blown. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. And it's still like hard for me to even just like think about myself in a, like, you know, like to talk about myself positively is still a very hard thing to do. Cause like another thing I feel like academics struggle with is, like we're taught to be critical and like I think there's some bleed over into like being critical of ourselves uh, whether you're like you know you should be critical about the work and like you know like hey what did I get right what's wrong what's be- what could be better how can we refine but then like you shouldn't do that too harshly with yourself yeah so, like, I think yes. yeah. yeah I remember yeah. the first after my first year I had this like end of year evaluation and my manager told me the things that she was happy about and it nearly made me cry I was like oh somebody says something really kind about what I did so yeah it's strange how academia is sort of like trains you to only think about the negatives of the stuff that you do yeah yeah and it seems that in academia it's not uh to be kind to each other or, or to just say like hey you did a good job it's not encouraged and and it's not common I don't know I feel like uh, I also felt that in industry like sometimes people kind of like hey good work that was really good and yeah and that well, I was surprised and happy to hear it's nice yeah I guess it's also just less Hunger Gamesy, you know, that yeah. you're like mm-hmm. five <laughs> working on a bench and only one or even only half of them will get a tenure track job eventually. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. that just makes it hard to be to stay kind to each other and to encourage each other. <sighs> yeah. yeah, because in the end, everybody is competing with, uh, with each other for from the same positions, the same uh, grants and the same things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I, I, yeah, I think that's a great note to go out on. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that 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 was lovely. Thank you so much for joining yeah. our podcast, Ibam. Yes. Well, uh, thanks for having me. It's so fun because normally I always listen to you guys when I'm running or cycling somewhere, and I'm like, I'm in this. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And thank you all for listening. And I see you guys next time. Bye bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. This week's Recovering Academic is sponsored by Scientific Dispatches Consulting, an editorial service for scientists. They specialize in helping you tell your research story clearly and concisely. Scientific Dispatches offers consulting, editing, writing, and presentation preparation services. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation at scientificdispatches.com. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find out about us. You can tweet the show at recoveringacad. You can also find all of the hosts on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist, 
I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash recovering academic podcast. You can find all of our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.